Hey everyone, this is Matt Kamen, your host of Nonprofit on the Rocks and co-founder of Envision Consulting, which is a strategy and search firm across the country, which we are now really national. I'm really proud of us, Ashley. And with us as always is Ashley Watterson, our producer. So this is our podcast coming out Thanksgiving week as we are hopefully somewhat coming out of COVID, but not really, but sort of, and we're all very confused. So what are you doing for Thanksgiving? Are you hanging out with family or is anybody unvaccinated? Are we in a fight with anybody? Because I am. I know, right? It's going to be interesting to hear the stories that come out of this one with people finally getting together and like they haven't done that even since the election. And, you know, it's crazy. My seven-year-old is partially vaccinated now, which is huge news. We're very excited about that. And my mother-in-law, who we haven't seen Matt in two years, yeah. coming in from the East Coast. So we're just going to have a small Thanksgiving celebration, but I'm really excited to see her. What about you? Yeah, well, we always hang out with the in-laws in Palm Springs. And so that is going to happen. And I have to tell you, Black Friday in Palm Springs is the best because, first of all, everybody's 125 years old in Palm Springs. So, like, I'm not fighting anybody. Maybe I have to knock down an old person to get to what I want, but that's okay. I'm not, I'm not above or below that. But the thing that is exciting for Palm Springs on the way are the best outlets in the country, I will argue. And they have Black Wednesday. So on the drive is when we go shopping. Speaking of Black Wednesday, why is it that the holiday season gets early and earlier every year? Like we barely get through Halloween and it's Christmas music and Christmas decorations. I know. Personally, in our house, we have a very hard and fast rule and I love Christmas music, but we don't start it until Thanksgiving. It's a hard and fast rule. Mm. And yet I was in Macy's the other day, early November, and they're blaring like white Christmas. And so it was 90 degrees out. Quick question, Ashley. What is your favorite Christmas song of all time? Ooh, I mean, it's pretty hard to beat Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Mm -hmm. It's pretty hard to beat that, but I'm going to pull one a little more obscure. There is a rendition of Carol of the Bells by David Foster that I absolutely love. So people go listen to it, download it. I'm, I'm going to tell you that as a Jew, my favorite Christmas song is the most religious of all. It is Celine Dion, Oh Holy Night. You know what? I will give you that. I love Oh Holy Night, and I think she may have the best one out there. And yeah. I'm sure people will send us hate mail because they've got their favorites, but I'm with you. Celine knocks it out. Here's what I want to say about Thanksgiving. I am thankful, truly thankful for this show. I am thankful for you sticking in there with me. And I am not thankful to the Apple Podcast delegation that has not featured us or put us in the top 10 podcast shows. Let me put this out here, Ashley. I'm going to put this out there for you. This next year, going into our second year, we're going to kick ass. We're going to take down Julie LaCouture. We are going to take down Ria Wong. We are going to take down all of those Christian podcasts because they're the ones that are the top five because their entire congregation is listening to them, which is unfair. It's unfair competition. I don't have a church. But I'm going to tell you something, Ashley, we are going to be top five next year. I'm putting that out there. I'm thankful for that. I have seen your vision board and I know that that's legit. What are you thankful for this year? I am really grateful for the fact that you have endured my mediocrity for as long as you have. I am, in all honesty, super grateful for the experience of working on this show. We have met so many amazing people. And 
the reality is, as cheesy as it sounds, we don't need a holiday to remind us to be grateful because every time we have an interview with one of these incredible nonprofit leaders, it's a reminder of how much good is being done by these people and how much we have to be grateful for. Wow. Yeah, I could not have put it any better myself. So I am also very thankful for that. And actually, it's the perfect segue, Heidi Johnson, who is our guest for today's Thanksgiving podcast, because she has a phenomenal podcast where she's interviewing founders of fantastic nonprofits across the country. And I am blown away by her. She's so smart. She's so lovely. Agreed. And she's also somebody who had a really tragic circumstance happen to her. And instead of choosing to be a victim, she chose to take that and turn it into something really beautiful and put all this good out in the world to try to help other people. She's a great example of that. And the people that she has on her podcast are great examples of that. Yeah. And yet again, as we talked about last week, the thing that I am most thankful of truly is just the goodness that is being done in this country. And in the year and a half, almost two years of this really horrible pandemic, there are some fantastic stories. There are some fantastic nonprofits. We really are doing good work. And I am proud of our sector. And I'm honestly proud of the work that we're doing here at Envision. And I really want Ashley to go into this episode with Oh Holy Night from Celine Dion. But I know that we can't do that, right? I so wish we could too. But yeah, copyright infringement would be all over us on that. So hopefully all of you will pause us and just go into Google and look up Celine Dion, Oh Holy Night, or Mariah Carey for that matter, and Mm. enjoy the music as we go into Heidi's episode. Hello, Heidi Johnson. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm fantastic, Matt. So great to be here. Thank you for having me. And before we start, because it is a proper happy hour, what are you drinking tonight? This evening, I decided to pour a very large Aperol spritz because it's always a great drink in California, but I thought that I would just kind of make a big, beautiful Prosecco with a little Aperol and a little Perrier and a lot of ice. That's very pretty. Well, cheers to you. I've got a little bit of uh, bourbon as always. Cheers. Mm. What kind of bourbon? It, it is Whistlepig. I will tell you something, and, and I'm curious how you would have responded because you have your own podcast, which we'll talk about in a second. But, you know, my podcast is about happy hour, and part of it is drinking. So I have a client that is a, a substance abuse center, and they asked me a question of, well, how could you represent us if you have a podcast and it is about drinking? What would you have said to that if they were like, hey, we want to hire you, but you're kind of an alcoholic? Well... I think that you can look at it both ways. I think it depends if your glass is full or your glass is empty. I think that there's nothing wrong for someone who's in recovery to be listening to a podcast about service, which is a huge part of recovery. So I think it's actually a fantastic fit. Heidi, you should do my job because I was like, uh, I had a terrible <laughs> So, all right. I'm happy to help you with that. I can do yeah. that. Yeah, I really, I had a terrible answer, but but we still got them as a client. So I guess it was good enough. Um, and I have to say, I love a cocktail. I'm an Irish girl and I love service. So I think this is fantastic. I'm just really excited to be able to do two things that I love. Drink, right? talk, and talk about service. It's right. as good as it gets in my world. Yeah, it doesn't right? get any better. 
Yeah, this is it. So, so I, you know, my partner's Catholic and I'm Jewish and I'm always like, hey, you guys invented wine because after all, we just turn water into wine. Like... Jews and Catholics, we all like to drink. Yeah, so. uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm an Irish Catholic, and it just comes with the territory. <laughs> My husband is a big bourbon drinker, and I, we're really trying to plan a trip to go to Tennessee and do the whole like bourbon run and the whole thing. So I'm just always fascinated with what what bourbon people are drinking because I am always looking for what bourbon to buy my husband. I will happily tell you which bourbon to buy your husband. My husband and I did the bourbon trail trip in October during COVID. So we totally broke the rules and we flew to Nashville and then we rented a car and we drove for a week and a half through Kentucky. And it was, I have to tell you, one of the greatest trips I've taken. I mean, I don't remember half of it, but it was phenomenal. <laughs> so I would, I yeah, would I, I'm going to need to get notes from you after this for sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. So on the on the booze note and the fact that we still have that substance abuse client, hopefully, I, I want everybody to know you, you have your own podcast that is so successful. And I'm trying really hard to get mine, like just a little bit higher on the podcast list. And so I'm curious if you could just tell us a little bit about your podcast and what you talk about. Well, so Charity Matters is our podcast, and I've been interviewing nonprofit founders for a decade with initially with my blog of the same name, Charity Matters. And it's really, if you've ever heard of the podcast, Guy Raz's How I Built This, it's really a very similar podcast, except we talk about nonprofits and the journey nonprofit founders go on because nobody really intentionally typically starts out to start a nonprofit. Something happens. There's an incredible backstory and there's, I don't know if it's divine intervention or what it is, but there's a moment, a real moment that happens in these people's lives that make them decide to completely do a U-turn in their life and to start a business that serves humanity. And it happened to me and I wanted to kind of find my tribe. I mean, we were talking about, you know, people in sobriety earlier, people try to find their people and I wanted to find mine. And so I went looking for nonprofit founders a decade ago, and I've been obsessed with them ever since. And so I tell their stories now, you get to hear them in person. And a lot of people still just like to read it and, and hear it in a blog. So I, I am fascinated with your podcast and you do such an amazing job. And I try and learn from, you know, other folks that do podcasts, because when we started this, I mean, to be honest, I hadn't even listened to one podcast. I just started it. And, and Good for you. I learned though along the way, you know, how to be better. But the first thing is I want to talk about our producer, Ashley, who, you know, may or may not be keeping her job. We don't know. We are not sure yet. <laughs> we have to do like <laughs> on the air. We'll figure that out. Who are you? Do you produce your show or do you have somebody who edits it for you? So I have two fantastic USC students. And being a USC alumni and having it down the road, they're in the film school. One of them just graduated from the film school. My fantastic sound editor, Jack Johnson, and he is amazing. And he also loves service. So it's a fantastic fit. And then I have another young lady who's worked with me with my social media and doing a kind of everything also at USC. And it's been fantastic. And I love mentoring and I love giving students jobs. And I love hiring people. So it's kind of just been, um, I said the same thing, like, let's do this. Let's try this. And let me see if I can get some kids to help me. And my day job, I work with kids 
too, which we can talk about later. But so that's just kind of what I'm used to doing is going to college kids and getting them to help and giving them something for their resume. And, and they're so brilliant. You know, if I had done my research and I had seen that you graduated from SC and that you had interns from SC, we may not have done this show because- Oh, are you a Bruin are talking or Notre to, Dame? You are talking to a Bruin. And, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe here's what I've learned from this, actually. Here's what I'm taking away in my brain is that I need to replace Ashley with Bruins, with, with kids who are now at UCLA. So that's actually a really good takeaway. That's a good takeaway. Or you can promote Ashley and she can manage some Bruins. Mm. So, yeah, mm. then, you know, there's always that. I, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Ashley's like skating on thin ice. So we'll see. But these kids, these kids, they, they are talented. They think in ways we don't think mm-hmm. and, and they really need experience. So for me, it's a win-win. It's working because your podcast is, you. is great. Thank you. You interview some really cool people. And I was curious if maybe you can tell us like one or two stories of, of somebody you've interviewed that you thought was just, you know, so cool. I mean, I know everybody is cool, right? But like one or two that come to mind that you want to share. You know, I think that people always ask me like, what's your favorite interview or, you know, who inspires you the most? And, and I, I've met some of the most incredible humans on this planet. And I really truly believe that if the world was following nonprofit founders, instead of maybe the Kardashians or reality TV stars, it would be a much better place because all of these people have given their lives to help other people. And so each and every one of them is truly amazing. But I will say there are moments and people that have really stuck with me and that I just get off and I think, oh my gosh, I can't even believe that conversation. I mean, I had one last week with a young man named Hal Hargrave, who you should interview as well. And Hal was in an accident. He was uh, 17, 18 years old, going to be a college um, baseball player and driving a truck for his dad and summer job and became a paraplegic. And he, within four days of, of his accident, he knew that he had a choice of making a difference or being a victim. And he was very clear that he was gonna make a difference. And he started the Be Perfect Foundation to provide wheelchairs, physical rehabilitation, cars, everything that you need when something happens like that. And he is now married and just has a thriving nonprofit. And and he's just one of the most remarkable humans. And one of the few that I actually went back from the blog and said, the world needs to hear his voice, but there's so many and every single one of them um, leaves me with a gift and a lesson and an insight and, and just opens my eyes to things in just remarkable ways. So you started a nonprofit, which we'll get to in a minute. That's an amazing story, but I'm curious doing a podcast, doing these interviews, always like having to be on when you do it. Like what is your favorite thing about having a podcast? And by the way, I realize this sounds so LA. That's such an LA question. Oh, <laughs> but what, is, what is your favorite thing about having a podcast? You know, I really think my favorite thing is that I've had these conversations for 10 years and only for the last year and a half have people been able to hear them. And so when you put it in print and you say some of the amazing things that these people say, it's powerful and you kind of edit it a little bit and you try to get it down to, you know, so many words to make the punch and make it perfect. 
what they said, but, but when you hear the passion in someone's voice, that's what ignites the next spark. And so my favorite thing is knowing that in some way I'm facilitating people lighting the torch. When you hear Hal Hargrave, you can't help but think, oh my gosh, like I wasn't even grateful for the fact that I could walk today. I was upset about being in traffic, listening to this or whatever was I was upset about. And, and now I'm grateful for walking. I'm grateful for my life. I'm grateful for the opportunity to help people. And when you hear that man's voice, I mean, the fact that I can bring that voice to people, like that's the greatest gift ever to me. Yeah, I interviewed Amy Turk, uh, who's the CEO of Downtown Women's Center, and same exact thing. She was like, as you go home tonight, your day could have been terrible, but when you use your key to open up the door to your house, just remember you have one, and think about how many people who don't. And so you're right, it just, it does, it does remind you. You just gave me the chills. I mean, you just gave me the chills, because that's, that's what it's all about, and I just think we're so busy focusing on the wrong things. Even me, I'm focusing on the wrong things, too. I mean, we all get just distracted with crazy things. And when I sit down and have these conversations, it is like a slap on the side of my face, you know, at least once a week, sometimes more if I'm lucky. And I've never walked away from a call not being moved or learning something really amazing. That's very cool. So you interview founders, nonprofits. Only founders. founders. And, you know, we've done a few founders on this show and and I think a lot of the listeners want to know if they're thinking about starting a nonprofit or what they have, and they want to know how to be successful, you know, some kinds of, of some kind of nuggets of wisdom, whatever it is. And so, because this is your soul, like you interview only founders, only. give some advice to somebody in Idaho right now, and they want to start a nonprofit on potatoes, for example, what is some advice that you could, that you've learned that works to start well, a nonprofit? The- the first advice I tell everybody is don't start a nonprofit. That's the first advice that I give you is that there's 1.6 million, depending on whose statistics you look at, you know, in the, in the country, we have 62,000 in Los Angeles, depending on who you talk to. I mean, it's, there is a nonprofit for everything. So my first advice is don't do it, but these people are entrepreneurs and they're not going to listen to that. So after you get to the fact that they're going to do it anyway, you have to look at and see, like if you were opening any business, if you were opening a hot dog stand, you'd want to know who your competitors are, who's doing this in the space, who's doing it well, and who can you learn from? Who can you partner with? Volunteer there first, learn for a nonprofit, work for a nonprofit. It is the hardest work you will ever do. It is the hardest work. And I think people think that running a business that relies on the kindness of others is just easy. You put your hand out and you put out a basket and put people put money in it. And it just doesn't work like that. So I think there's a lot of things you have to think about, but it's just like starting any business. It has every last facet, except the way you um, earn revenue is much more challenging. Yeah, for sure. So have you, was there somebody who you interviewed that just came up with like such a brilliant idea of how they raised the funding to start to actually continue their nonprofit? The most interesting funding. Gosh, people do such different things depending on who they are and what they do. I can't think of anything that just totally stands out as being completely out of the box, but I always love it though when people are true to 
what they, if everything aligns with their mission and people are creative, you know, you work for the neighborhood garden or horticulture thing, and you're sending seeds to people and you're staying just on point. I think sometimes people get out of their lane and I think that's not always a great idea. I think you can be creative in your lane, but know what you do and, and who you are and do that well. That's, that's kind of my advice. So no, no real mission drift, basically. So people come to me all the time and they ask me how to find board members, right? And so when you're starting a nonprofit, you have to, you have to form a board. That's a nonprofit. So, you know, what would be your advice? What were some of the things that you learned that, you know, people who started nonprofits were able to find board members? Well, at the end of the day, a nonprofit is a community and, and it's building community and the nonprofit founder builds community and builds connection. And if they can't do that, they're never going to be successful. So in that network, you know, you have certain things you need in a board. You need to have legal advice. You need to have financial oversight. You need to have someone that might have great marketing. You probably need an alumni or someone who's been involved with your program in some way. You need to have different perspectives from all different places. So, you know, first and foremost, identify what the need is that you need on that in that particular board um, or all of those pieces, and then start thinking who in my community fits that puzzle piece. Yeah. So you have to figure out exactly what it is that you need and then work backwards. So you want to percent Uh-oh, I hear that music. I think it's time for Matt Swain Across America. Ashley, team me up. This question comes from Chad in Washington, DC. Hi, Matt. Aside from writing a check, what are some unique ways that we can give back during this holiday season to nonprofits? That is a fantastic question. And what I will say is at the end of the year, it is really time to think about the clients that we serve. So when we're thinking about, for example, volunteering on Thanksgiving, shelters don't need people to go volunteer and pass out food on Thanksgiving. That's when we get the most amount of volunteers. So think about calendaring time where you, your family, your coworkers can go volunteer at nonprofits throughout the year. I don't want to see you in November and December. I want to see you in March, June, August. Those are the times that we need you the most. The other thing that would be great to do is to organize a food drive with your neighbors at your school, at your work, and donate tons of food to food pantries because right now, especially with prices going so high, everybody can use that help. So that would be a great way to do it. And if you're looking at how to do that, one of the things you could do is Google homeless shelters, Google foster youth, Google nonprofits in your neighborhood. There are lots of great ways to donate. You could, what we like to call adopt a family. So you just go on their website that they're looking for gifts for their kids. They're looking for all kinds of things. Just Google it, take a look, see how you can give back. And the other thing is, yeah, I know you said not a check, but truly this is the time of year when whatever it is that you do have, if you can write a check, even if it's five bucks and you can do it on a monthly basis or just five bucks in general, Every single nonprofit can use that right now. So think about think about volunteering throughout the year. Think about writing a check or some kind of donation. Think about organizing some kind of food drive. And just remember, honestly, and we say this throughout this episode, just be thankful for what you do have. And remember that there's always people with more, but there's also always people with less. And whatever you can do to give back, that's what I would tell you to do, Chad. Thanks for that advice, Matt. And now back to your interview with Heidi Johnson, founder of Charity Matters. 
So I'm going to ask you an unfair question. You interview a ton of founders, a ton of nonprofits. You know who's out there. If I right now gave you a check for $10 million and I said, you have to give this to just one cause, not a nonprofit, but a cause. Totally unfair. I know that, Heidi. So mean. This is just mean, Matt. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I need to have a drink for this one. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I'm drinking for this one. So here you go. Here's 10 million bucks, but you have to give it to one cause. Where do you give it? Education. It has to be education. Yeah. What does that mean? It has. It means so many things. I've been privileged to be, and still I'm involved with a number of nonprofit boards that I sit on and organizations that I'm involved with, educational organizations, from Catholic high schools to colleges. I sit on TCU Chancellor's Board. I'm on LMU's School of Education Board of Visitors. I co-chaired Verbin Day and Watts, which is high school, really near and dear to me, where our boys all live in poverty. It's an all-boys school, and 100% of them go to college. So, you know, using just the verb as an example, I've seen what education can do to change a life. I've seen what the gift of a scholarship can do. I see that even in the leadership organization that I run, what education does. And to me, if you are going to change a life, education is the way to do it. Ugh, you know, you just make me feel like such a bad person. I don't sit on any board at this point. I don't do anything anymore. So now I got to like, I got to step it up. Well, you got to step it up. I might have a board opening for you. What's your finance skills like? <laughs> I'm going to drink a little bit more before I do any of that. It's interesting. So you said earlier that you tell people don't. Don't start a nonprofit. Or like the first thing you say is like, um, why? Why should you start a nonprofit? There's other ones out there. I don't want to put words in your mouth that you say don't. Right. And you started a nonprofit. So tell us a little bit, you know, tell our three listeners out there a little bit about your nonprofit and why you started it. Oh, okay. I don't know how much time you have because this is kind <laughs> of my, I'm, I'm Irish and I'm a storyteller and this one isn't super short, but okay. So as short as I can tell it. In November, 2002, my parents and six of their friends were on vacation in Puerto Vallarta, four couples, and they were hit by a bus and every couple lost a spouse. So my mother was killed instantly in this accident. And my father had a broken back and broken femurs and punctured lungs. And uh, he died twice and he was incredible. He was in a coma for a month. And he came home from that accident on Thanksgiving day in 2002. And it was the happiest day because I almost lost both parents, but I, I have my father who's still fantastic. And he comes to my house and gets on my Peloton five days a week. So he's 83 and he's amazing. So that happened. And a year after that accident, a lot of things happened in that year of loss and losing my mom and my parents, friends and the grief. And it was something you can't really even, it's like a TV show. It was just so crazy. A friend of mine who was a Catholic priest who went to high school with my husband called me and said, Hey, Heidi, I am the only chaplain at children's hospital, Los Angeles. And I am here nine to five Monday through Friday doing last rites, blessings before surgeries, meeting the helicopter, you know, baptisms, 911 baptisms and all these things. But then I go home and I still have to run a parish where I still have to listen to confession and do weddings and mass and all these things. He said, I can't do this. He said, we need more 
people here. And, and why the hospital does have a large Catholic community, we need people of all faiths. Can you help me? And I said, John, like, I've never started a nonprofit. I'm philanthropic. I'm 35 years old. I have three little boys. I have a toddler and two kids, like in first grade and kindergarten. And I got nothing. And he said, no, no, you need to, you need to just come down and bring some friends. So I came down to CHLA literally almost a year to the day of my parents' accident in November, 2003. I go down there with 10, 10 of us and we are um, on a tour in the hospital. And I will say, Father John is kind of, you know, a little thorn birds, a little McDreamy. He's a good looking guy. And this woman with her 12 year old son sees Father John like she sees George Clooney and she is rushing to us through the hospital halls, pushing this wheelchair, running at us, father, John, father, John, you're not going to believe this father, John. And he's like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Wait a minute. Slow down. These are my friends. Like what's going on. And she looks at us and she says, do you know what father John did for me? She said, I moved to Los Angeles as a single mom and I only have my son here. And I was taking him to school and he was run over in the carpool lane and drop off. And he was not supposed to live. And father John greeted me at the, at the helicopter. And he sat with me for eight hours of surgery and he gave me hope and he gave me faith. And he came every single day for a month. And she said, father John, my son is going home on Thanksgiving day on Thanksgiving day. He's going home. And right then in that moment, the lightning bolt struck my mother, the heavens, God, whatever you want to call it, hit me like a ton of bricks. And I knew in that minute that I had to do this for whatever crazy reason I needed to start a nonprofit that provides chaplains of all faiths at Children's Hospital. And that's what we did. Wow. That just gave me chills. That totally gave me chills. That is for sure divine intervention. That is for sure your mom. There was just no explaining it. And, and it was just not anything I wanted to do, you know? But we did it. We, we did it and we did it in a big way. We have a $10 million interfaith center. We have 27 chaplains of all faiths, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we are a national template of pediatric chaplaincy. Hospitals follow our um, chaplaincy program and model all the time. So we've just glossed over how you got to where you are. And I want, <laughs> like, I want to dive into that for one second, but I do have a question. One of the nonprofits that we interviewed on the show dealt with kids who have lost a parent and provided basically somebody to help them get through the grieving. And right. curious, you dealt with a horrendous thing. And I am so sorry for that. Thank How you. did you get through it? What would you tell somebody who just lost a parent? How, like, does it get better? Does it get easier? You know, I think everyone grieves in different ways. And I think it's really fascinating because of, I would say of the hundreds of nonprofit founders that I have interviewed, 90% have gone through some sort of loss. It doesn't need to be death, but some sort of loss. And out of that loss came their nonprofit. And I would say 10% had a near miss or a moment that was a wake up call and out of gratitude started their nonprofit, maybe 20, 10 to 20%. So for me, I think that what I learned in hindsight is that service healed me in unimaginable ways. And when you serve, when you are instantly taking all of the focus off of yourself and onto other people, there is something magical that happens that you just can't explain. 
And I couldn't get enough of it. I mean, I always say to my husband's like, you know, could you have been a shopaholic? It would have been cheaper than being addicted to philanthropy because you, I can't make money fast enough because you just want to give it away, but it's an addictive feeling of helping other people. And, and it just, it healed me. But I also felt that for me, spiritual care, especially gave purpose to my mother's death. And I think now this is just my, there was 10 of us that started it. It was not just me. There were 10 women that started this. I was the president for the first few years and, um, and ran it for five, but it was not me. But when I think about why things happen, you don't always understand. And you look, they say, you know, hindsight's 2020. But if, if I can think that I lost my mother, um, in order to provide hundreds of thousands of families, the gift of a chaplain for their end of life, for a greeting for the helicopter, for a blessing before a surgery, for a baptism, for anything that they need in that moment, that gives me such joy and peace and comfort and purpose. And I think, you know, people who lose family members or lose friends need their friends at that moment. And I think a lot of people just don't know how to, a lot of people don't know how to reach out. A lot of people feel uncomfortable. So, you know, when you were grieving and when you were going through that loss, and again, I mean, I'm just so sorry for all of that. What, you know, did, what kind of helped you get through aside from like pushing the it was, aside? It right? was the people that just showed up because people always say, oh, let me know what you need. Well, when you're a puddle, you're not going to be calling anybody. You're just going to be a puddle. But the people at the time I had a toddler, the people that just showed up with diapers randomly and dropped diapers off because I wasn't even functioning to like go to the store to get diapers. Right. I would forget like, and there wasn't Amazon at the time that I could just order them or whatever. So, you know, people just showed up. I had one person who said to me, um, Heidi, you always do these beautiful Christmas cards. Are you doing a Christmas card this year? And I said, are you kidding? are you kidding me? My mother died, you know, November 9th. I'm like, uh, Christmas card. I said, and then all of a sudden I realized the last conversation I had with my mother was her picking out the photo for the card. And she picked this really weird picture. And I said, mom, the kids aren't even looking at the camera. They're looking up at this tree. And when I looked at the picture again, the tree has a shadow of an angel that's over my children. And I realized I had to do a Christmas card because she picked up. So this woman who was, I mean, a friend, but we weren't super, super close, but a, a friend, she said, I would like to do your 300 Christmas cards. I mean, like that was just, who wants to do your own Christmas cards? Let alone anybody else's. It was just, it was remarkable. I mean, things like that were just mind blowing. And then people did things like, and things that I still do, like someone gave me a beautiful fall wreath and it was fall. And so I hang that wreath every year and think about my mom in the most beautiful way rather than flowers, you know? And so, so many, so many lovely things that you learn when you go through it, that you do things differently when you're helping someone else. Yeah. I always tell people that, you know, people just, again, they're like, tell us what you need or whatever. No, I just need you to show Mm-mm. up. I just need you to like actually show up and don't yep. ask. Yeah. Don't ask, just, yeah. just drop a latte off and leave, you yeah. know, just <laughs> doorbell ditch with dinner or whatever and do it three to four months after don't do it in the, in the crux of all of it. That's when they need it the most mm. textbook grief, 
starts three to four months after is when it's the loneliest. And that's when you need to put it on your calendar. And that's when you show up. Thank you for that. I hope people you're welcome. Are, yeah, that's something that I just, you know, I, I know people are so uncomfortable with that. So I appreciate that's Karen. a wonderful question. Thank you. So, so you raised $10 million. You started this nonprofit. Yeah, I understand you did it with like other, you know, other people, not just you. Yeah, lots of people. (laughs) Okay. I have a friend who today, like two hours before our interview, she started a nonprofit and she texted me and she said, who gives loans? Like, where do I get money? Because we don't have it. I need to at least be able to raise something. And I, you know, we talked a lot about it. And, you know, for me, it's, yeah, you can go get a loan, but you also need to do fundraising. You raised $10 million. Well, you don't start off doing that. So Children's Hospital is an amazing organization, but they have now today, I believe 30 nonprofit organizations that are affiliated with the hospital. They're independent 501c3s. So they can go like spiritual care. I could open up a chapter at every single hospital in the country if I wanted to. We're independent, but we're affiliated with the hospital. They'll do your taxes and they'll help you, but they don't give you stamps or anything. So you don't get financial support when you're starting. You're on your own. So what we did was we said to a girlfriend, oh, your husband's a member of that club, right? When do they bill for their, when do they, how for the bill? He's like, oh, well, every 30 days. We're like, okay, so what if we have a breakfast? There's 10 girls. What if we all put 20 names in? They can't be the same name. So we get 200 names. And we invite them to a breakfast and we'll get Father John to speak and we'll get the head of nursing to speak who happened to be married to my pediatrician at the time. You know, another like just coinky dink. There's so many of those, right? And we'll get a patient parent to talk about what it's like when you don't have someone there, when you need something. So we had this breakfast and we invited 200 people and 100 women came and 100 women wrote checks for $100 to join our group. And that was the beginning. And that's how we started. I have a question, you know, it makes sense. I promise. Would you rather be lucky or would you rather be skillful? I don't know. Cause I think I've been a little bit of both. I will say that when you are doing what you're destined to do, you can call it luck. You can call it divine intervention. You can call it whatever you want, but when you're on the right path, you know it because those doors just keep opening. So here's my question. This is again, what my friend was calling me about. You had all these doors open, which is fantastic. But what if you started a nonprofit and you are not having doors open and you are not being able to call somebody now, what's your advice to me? I think, you know, it's one of those things where you have to really assess it because sometimes there is the universe telling you, this is not the path for you. Only you know that. And sometimes we just have roadblocks that we have to overcome. And it's hard to decide, is this a roadblock because I need to overcome it? Or is this a way of me, of someone saying, I need to pivot and turn and try a different direction? And maybe the moral is if you are not having luck and the doors just aren't opening, get that community together. And at the end of the day, if even still it isn't working, at some point you have to say, maybe this isn't right. Maybe I need to devote, like put my energy into a nonprofit that already exists, for example. Yes. I, I think that's good advice. I would agree with that. So you left, you said, so you ran it for five years and then you left or you were no longer executive director, right? You, correct. You know, I think there's something that's really interesting and I'm sure you run into it called founder syndrome. Mm-hmm. 
and, and I hadn't studied it. I didn't know about it, but I just knew innately that people kept looking to me for answers. And I knew that there were so many more creative, new, exciting things than that I was bringing. And that if it was my child, my baby, even though it wasn't just mine, I shared it with these other women, that if it was going to grow and run and thrive, I needed to let it go. And I could not hold on to it forever. And so I stepped aside. I was president for three years and I stayed on the board for five years and we had great success, but yeah, it just, it was time, right? It was just, there's a season for everything. Yes. That is easy for you to say, but we deal with a ton of founders who just don't get it. And, and you're right. Founder syndrome is a thing. So we have a ton of clients and there's a lot of founders and I tell them like, it's time to go and they don't, yeah. they're like, oh yeah, I can give up the reins and they cannot. So, uh, you know, if you're a founder of a nonprofit and you're listening to this show, okay, Heidi, <laughs> what do you tell them? First call makes I love to interview for Charity Matters. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, I think, um, you have to really look at if your organization is continuing to grow and you personally are continuing to grow, then you need to stay. But the second that anything is stagnant, you are not growing or your organization isn't growing. It's time to assess a shark that does not move dies. And it's just that simple. You have to keep moving forward. And if there's a moment where that doesn't happen, it might be time to assess a contingency plan and look at who's coming up the pikes and who you can hand this to. Okay. So if you're listening and you're a founder, I need you to call Heidi for two reasons. <laughs> you tell your story. If you already have it. And then you ask her if it's time for you to fire yourself. That's what, that's what I got out of this. Yeah. It's- okay. Yeah. I'll say it's fair. It's fair. Okay. I run a nonprofit that I inherited from a founder and she was there 30 some odd years and God bless her. She's still alive. She's a nun. And she did a beautiful thing. I take her legacy very seriously, but I tell everyone that I am the second wife and, you know, the second wife is always younger and, you know, the second wife gets the jewelry and and no one likes the second wife. Everybody likes their mom, right? They love the founder. They love their mom. And I am the second wife in the nonprofit that I run. And it's a different dynamic. No one's ever described it as a second wife before. And I love everything about that. Can I use that for now on? hundred percent, a hundred percent. Then, I mean, for me, it would be second husband, but I love everything about that. So it's the truth. So tell us about your nonprofit. So I run an organization called TASK, which is an acronym, a very long acronym for a very horribly named organization, but that does amazing work. So we are the Association of Catholic Student Councils. We were started by a nun in 1982 to provide leadership in Catholic schools because they were just saying, hey, there's no nuns and priests. Who are our leaders going to be? Still a really great question. And so they tasked our founder, Marilyn Thicket, to create this organization. And so she basically created a camp where college kids taught high school kids and high school kids taught middle school kids leadership skills. And it was every summer and it just kept going and going and going with, I think we had probably 18,000 alumni before I even showed up eight years ago. So yeah, we teach leadership skills and we have three employees and we serve 3000 kids a year. 
What is your favorite thing about being an executive director? My favorite thing is honestly working with incredible people and being in a privileged position to see the change that we can actually impact. I mean, we truly create change and I get to see it. And now after eight years, I can see it in the kids that we taught eight years ago that are now out of college. And I understand why people get into teaching because it's such a gift to see that we have a small little piece of planting a seed of compassion in thousands of children every year. And one of the huge things that we teach and the reason I took the job at task was to plant the seed of compassion and service. We teach kids, you cannot lead unless you serve. You cannot lead unless you serve. I think that's really important for people to hear. I also think, by the way, that's a huge part of, of Charity Matters. I mean, it just kind of all goes together to me. Yeah. You know, a lot of what we talk about on the show is people getting into executive director positions and wanting to be an executive director. So I hear your favorite thing about being an ED. What is your least favorite thing about being an executive director? <sighs> the same. It's wearing so many hats, right? I mean, it's so exciting to wear so many hats and it's so exhausting to wear so many hats. There's not enough hours in the day and anyone who works in a nonprofit will know this, whether you're an executive director or not, because it's not like we're making pencils or widgets. We are serving human beings. And when we go to bed at night, someone isn't getting educated. Someone isn't getting fed. Someone isn't getting healthcare. Someone isn't having a chaplain by their bedside. Someone isn't being served in some way they need to be served. And those people are on our backs. And that is an enormous responsibility. And it, it and it's something that I take incredibly seriously. I think about the faces of all those kids that we serve and it is a lot to carry that, but the blessings that come with it are worth all of that. So you can talk to founders, you can talk to executive directors, you can talk to students, you can talk to people who are grieving. You can do an enormous amount of stuff, right? And you've done an enormous amount of, of amazing work in your life. Again, another unfair question, my apologies. Podcast. I'm drinking yeah. again now. So you look back on all the things that you've done. What are you most proud of? Oh, wow. Well, I'd be a bad parent if I didn't say my three children, right? I just have to, because they're going to listen to this and I'm going to hear it forever. So I've got to start with my three children because that's just like what every mother has to say. What about your husband? Oh, he's fantastic too. And we just had our 30th wedding anniversary. That man deserves a, a big bottle of bourbon because okay. he supports me so I can support everybody else. So that man is a saint. But the thing I'm most proud of, I feel incredibly blessed that I am in a position to serve and that I'm in a position to be a messenger of service and that I get to walk the walk every day, being an executive director and doing this work, and then being able to share the stories of others that do this work. So I'm incredibly proud of Charity Matters. Um, I'm incredibly proud of, of spiritual care and what we've done at Children's Hospital, changing the culture of a 105-year-old institution and providing families faith in times of need. Incredibly proud of that. And I'm incredibly proud of Task. I mean, you know, I am, I'm, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but all of this is hard work, but every last thing has led me to the next and everything has made my life richer and better. And the more I give, the more I get. And I feel very grateful for all of it.
That's amazing. That's amazing to be able to, to say that and know that. You know, one of the things that, that people always ask is, you know, what have you learned in your career that I don't have to do, right? Like something that you learned that was a mistake you made or whatever it is that you can tell me not to, not to repeat. Uh, and I actually, I am always like every single thing that I did wrong taught me who I am now. And like, you know, like I would never go back and change it ever because it made me who I am. But is there something that if you could only just go back and not have done it, you know, is there anything that, not that you regret, because I think that's a terrible word, but something that you could change or something that you learn from that you could be giving advice to people who are getting into nonprofit? You know, I do think we talked about roadblocks earlier, and I do think roadblocks come in so many different ways. And I've certainly, I mean, this has not been a straight path of, you know, to a $10 million donation interface. So if anyone listening thinks that this has just been smooth sailing, let me just be really clear. There's bumps in the road every day. And I think that there have been times that I have just wanted to throw in the towel and say, I can't do this. I always say the bucket is heavy. I'm carrying too much. I have too many people on my back. I can't do it. And in those moments when I just think I cannot go on, I cannot do anymore. I have nothing left to give. I either A, have to do self-care and stop and like realize that I've run myself empty, which is a huge problem, as you know, with nonprofit people, the helpers, we overgive sometimes. And I've had multiple wake-up calls from my body saying, red flag warning here, things are going down. And the other thing is I stop and think about the people that I'm serving and I have to be my best self to take care of them. And that just fuels me to keep going. But I have to say that there have been a, there are a lot of things and it comes in so many different ways. It comes in so many different ways, what those roadblocks are. And some are ugly. Some are really not pretty. It's, you know, you think this is all sunshine and rainbows, but people are people and, you know, crazy things happen. And you, you just have to a little pause and just take a breath and realize why you're doing this and take care of yourself and keep going. I really appreciate that because people always ask, like, what keeps you going? How do you keep yourself motivated? And, you know, like, especially when those requests come, especially in nonprofit. Besides bourbon. Besides bourbon, right? (laughs) What keeps you motivated motivated is making that difference in people's lives, seeing what the need is and just knowing that you can change that or fix it or help it. I'm addicted. It's official. It's an addiction. It's a good addiction, but it's an addiction. I just love everything about it. I love it all. So I I feel very grateful that I get to do something that I love. I mean, how lucky am I that I get to help people and that I love what I do. I mean, that I wake up every day excited about what I'm doing. I mean, it just doesn't really get a lot better than that. No, I know. I I will tell you, I was, I am also a founder of three nonprofits and I might be a little, Matt, I need to interview you and share your matters. I might be just a little offended that you haven't asked me yet, but uh, (laughs) Matt, would you be a guest on charity matters, please? (laughs) (laughs) Point is I walked away also. And I walked away because I knew I had to, because I needed it to grow. Um, and, and for you, good for you. But this is the, this is the conversation in terms of what keeps you going. And, you know, 
there is that really important piece, which is, yes, you can keep going, you can keep doing it. Matt, what a gift you are being a messenger of service, right? So you're still using your gifts and serving as a messenger. And there's so many ways to serve, right? And I think that people forget that. I think people think, oh, I gave $3, you know, at Vons when they asked me if I wanted to support, you know, whatever the cause is, or I don't know where to start, or I don't know what to do, or I don't think I'm good at anything. So how could I help anybody? And, and that's just not the case. And you're just being a messenger of service and broadcasting all these stories. You're inspiring hundreds of people to make a difference. And that is such a gift. Thank you. So on your Instagram, you use a lot of inspirational quotes that I think is really cool. And I'd love to know one or two of your favorite inspirational quotes that you can share with our listeners. There's so many. And my favorite quote, which I'm going to misquote, but it's to our point about gifts. It basically says that the purpose of life is to find your gift and then to give it away. And to me, that is exactly why we are all here to find the gift and then to share it and give it away. Whatever that gift is, whether you're a great carpenter, you're a great singer, you're a great fundraiser, you're a great teacher, whatever it is, that is why you're here. A great mom, a great dad, whatever that is. And I think that if the world started realizing that each of us are here for a purpose, a clear purpose, and that we have things we're really good at and to keep doing them it'd just be such a great place that's amazing and i agree so you just have to not give up hope as best that you can realize that yes everybody has some kind of gift and that There's you're something that you are good at that nobody that you it's just your thing even if you're the best whistler and you stand on the corner and you whistle whatever it is you can bring joy to people in the tiniest of ways and that's what we're all here to do Hey, I think I'm really good at happy hour. So that's Hey, my- you've got happy hour down. Cheers that's, to that. That's, that's my gift. Okay. I'm pretty good at it too, actually. You're pretty good at happy hour. <laughs> okay. So tell us where we can all, we can find you in 19,000 places. You've got a podcast. Yeah, there's a, there's a handful of places. So you can go first and foremost to the charity matters website, which is charity dash. Yes. There's a dash because it's like 10 grand if you don't have the dash and I just didn't have the 10 grand. So it's, charity-matters.com, which has been our site for a long time. You can go to Instagram at Charity Matters. You can find us on Twitter at, I believe it's Charity underscore Matters on Twitter, Um, on Facebook, Charity Matters, and then TASC, uh, the youth leadership organization that I run is TASCSC.org, TASC.org. And um, our podcast, you can find an Apple podcast, at Charity Matters. So, and we're on every platform that you can find any podcast, Spotify and all of that. Do you sleep ever? I mean, it's not like, you know, you're not doing anything. I'm a big exerciser, sleeper, meditator. I do it all. I, I just cram it all in. Life is short. Life is short. My mother was hit by a bus and that is the gift that I was given in her loss is that life is short and you have, we have to use every minute we have every minute we have to bring ourselves and the world joy. I mean, oh, right? I had to be a better person. All right. <laughs> you are, you're a fantastic person. So Heidi, I so enjoy getting to know you, Matt. Well, I'm you. a really good talker. 
and you're a really good listener. <laughs> I have to for sure visit Heidi on every single platform. And here's what I want, Heidi. Here's what I'm asking from you before we toast goodbye. What I'm asking for you is I don't want to be number eight on the podcast platform anymore. I want to move up to like number six or number four. So I need your help to somehow, you know, to like your trillions of listeners out there, just just tweet like, hey, listen to Nonprofit on the Rocks. It's pretty good. It's all right. Matt's all right. That's all I'm asking. Done. Done. Cheers, my friend. Cheers, Heidi. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Matt. What a great conversation. And I'll meet you anytime you want to talk nonprofit and have a drink. Done. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Matt. So what uh, what'd you think of our episode with Heidi? I am feeling inspired because that episode was just chock full of reminders of all the goodness that is out there and all the good things that all these nonprofit founders have done and are doing. And here's the million dollar question. Is that inspiration going to turn into Nonprofit on the Rocks actually being on the top five list in Apple Podcast? I hope so. What are you most looking forward to about Thanksgiving? Mm, that's a good question. I am most excited about the food. But let's get more specific because let's be honest, everyone has a Thanksgiving favorite. What I'm most excited about truly is the stuffing. The stuffing is the one time a year that I eat carbs. Really? You yes. do not eat carbs. Does alcohol count as carbs? No. <laughs> it's, it's, Personally, just give me stovetop stuffing. Who, by the way, hey, stovetop, want to sponsor this episode, give us a shout. I just want my dried breadcrumbs that I pour the soup stock on and cut up some celery and onion and, and boom. My mom one time made Grand Marnier apricot stuffing and my sister and I were like, and dad, we're just, what are you doing? What, why are you getting fancy? We just want stovetop. So where do you come down in stuffing category? That's a fantastic question, by the way, because Philip also tried to be fancy on one Thanksgiving and nobody wants fancy Thanksgiving. Nobody wants it. Oh. First, all I'm going to say is at the end of the day, I'm very excited about stuffing. I'm very excited about turkey. I'm very excited about a holy night. And I'm very excited about Heidi Johnson. Well, I am very thankful for our next guest, which is Julie Lacatour, who has her own podcast with Trent Stamp called How We Run. And it is a very successful nonprofit podcast that you and I are aspiring to get into the Pantheon with. And, and take them down. Oh yeah. Once we're in the Pantheon, then it becomes more like a Roman Coliseum. And then we just duke it out and, and you and I totally take them out. All right. <laughs> I can handle that. And, and on that lovely note, I want to just say one more time, we are going to be in the top five shows in 2022. I'm putting that out there. Well, and you can now find our shows streaming on YouTube. So there's more ways to listen and more ways, Matt, for us to get into that upper echelon. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. For more information on this episode and others, visit us at www.envisionnonprofit.com slash podcast.